commenced, I commenced, take that Catherine over, so one of y'all, thank you. Um, I commenced a series of messages that I was entitling the Word of Faith, taken from Romans 10. The Word of Faith is near you. It's in your heart and in your mouth. The Word of Faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Right? And we want to be people of faith. And I intended that that journey would take me to a particular place, but it didn't take long before I began to transition that series from a Word of Faith to a journey of faith. And I began to use the, the, the backdrop of the nation of Israel before they were a nation, when they were but the descendants of Abraham in bondage in Egypt. And the experiences of that particular people group um, in the book of Exodus and then uh, also through the book of Numbers, which is where we've been as of late. The word of faith has been drawn from that journey of faith. Now, it's very... Um, Diverse. There's a lot of things that are being addressed. And I think that's important because we have a lot of things that we deal with in our lives. Right? And it's, and it's good to see in context of Scripture. I mean, you know, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable. It's profitable for you. and Because you may not be journeying the exact journey that they made when they went through what was known as the wilderness journey. But you're on a journey of faith. Right? You're on a journey of faith. And the children of Israel tragically failed in unbelief in a number of places. And we're trying to be guarded and learn and to prevent ourselves from falling into some of the, challenge, uh, the, the, the experiences that they did because they brought some negativity upon themselves. So um, the word is alive. It's been alive in my heart. Today is a more of a challenging text. I find myself extracting some challenging subjects from this series. I want you to stand with me. We're going to read nine verses of Scripture to open up today. Again, if you're a visitor, God bless you. If you didn't fill out a visitor card, fill one out if you would. There's a, it's one in the seat in front of you, and you can take it to the table in the foyer uh, um, or give it to a, a member of the serve team. We just want to have a record of your visit. So here we are, Numbers chapter number 25, verse number 1. So you're going to look right there on the screen, and a lot of y'all make fun of me. And the challenge that I have to pronounce words that have been translated from the Hebrew to English. And, you know, that's okay. I've learned not to judge you on that because you don't stand where I stand. So, in this particular verse, your eyes are immediately drawn to a particular word that my Bible actually puts an apostrophe and separates the T's. All right, now, so, and Israel abode in Shatim, and that's actually how you pronounce it. The emphasis is on the team, Shatim. Huh? I did it. I practiced on that one. I had to. I've watched about 30 minutes of how to pronounce this, and also pronounce it fast. All right. Number one, you really don't want to dwell there. <laughs> and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. It was funny for a moment, wasn't it? But all humor leaves quickly when you look at the text. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor. Now, Baal is pronounced a little bit differently by particular camps that you read, but 
I'm familiar with this, and most people are, so I'm going to stay with it, Baal Peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, take all the heads of the people, so there's immediate corporate capital punishment, and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. These are hard words to read, aren't they? Shows you the damaging effects of some of the decisions that were made by the people of Israel. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay ye every one of his men that were joined unto Baal Peor. And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel, who were weeping before the tabernacle of the congregation. And when Phineas, Phineas, excuse me, I should get this one correct because my grandson is named Phineas Lee, by the way. Phineas Lee. The son, but that's not this one that's mentioned here. But he is named after this. And after this, and after this right here. So both. Are you all with me out there? The son of Aaron, the priest. So Phineas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, he saw it. He rose up from among the congregation and he took a javelin in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. So the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. It's a very heavy text of Scripture. And those that died in the plague were 20 and 4,000. It's enough there and we'll pause. So I was telling Caleb and, and Chelsea a conversation with them this week. I said, I'm just going to be honest. You're probably not going to hear a sermon like this throughout the city of Heber Springs, but except for right here at Heber First Assembly. And that's because you just have to take the hard text. You can't just pacify things uh, to, to the culture. I'm going to extract for you today the context of what this is speaking to us about. And I'm going to give you, today we're going to have an opportunity to vote in our business meeting. And you're going to get an opportunity to vote for the first time in your life as a member of First Assembly on selecting the title for today's sermon. So this is your first option that I'm presenting to you right now. It depends upon how you think about things. Sexual purity in a sexually depraved culture. Obviously, we're going to somehow make that connection. It just depends upon how. So that's option number one. Number two would be looking for love in all the wrong places. So which is it, one or two? Do we hear one? Two. All right, so we're going to call this message. It will be posted on, on the podcast, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. Let's pray. Father, I love you today, and I'm grateful to have this opportunity to share the Word of God. I feel a great confidence in my spirit to tackle such a, such a challenging text of Scripture, such a difficult subject matter as what will soon be unfolded in front of the eyes of the people. I pray, Lord, that you would give all of us a listening ear and a, and a heart that is pliable and receptive to, to, to the things of God, to the Word of God, that we can receive this Word and, and it can help us in a lot of ways, especially in dealing with the subject matter. God, I thank you for it today. It's in Jesus' name. All God's children said amen and amen. Thank you so much for honoring the word of the Lord here today. I'm going to make a slight shift on you. I might not. I'm going to try. These are my real glasses, so I'm trying to go with them. Just very, 
quickly. I do have notes that help me and aid me along the way. Sometimes I preach like a wild man. Sometimes I preach um, like a pastor, and then sometimes it's in the middle, and today it's in the middle a little bit. Uh, this is a subject that's very difficult to talk about, the challenges of living uh, in or near a sexually depraved society. So if you're familiar at all with ancient Israel, you're going to know that there were two things that were a constant stumbling block. Well, one was primarily the constant stumbling block for the people, and that was idolatry. The very thing that God, when he appeared to them on Mount Sinai and revealed his glory as of the only true God. If you'll read some of the passages, God, there were a lot of little g's, G-O-D-S's in the, in, in the culture in which the people were passing through and would eventually dwell. But God affirmed that there was only one God. Right? There's only one God, and nothing's changed. There's none beside him, correct? And so, but if you're familiar with their, stu- their struggle at all, you're going to know that that was a constant source of temptation to fall into idolatry, especially if the idolatrous practices commingled uh, sexual enticement with it. So that's a big one. So the context of this narrative is, is that the children of Israel, the children of Israel began to go to certain of the feasts that the Moabites did in their pagan Canaanite worship of Baal. And uh, the, the Psalms actually describe those feasts as sacrifices of the dead. And they participated in these uh, sacrifices, but those sacrifices were often highlighted with pagan sexual ritual. And I have preached about this for 30-plus years to the very best of my ability, looking at the cultures that Israel was influenced by to bring some of that to light because the writers of Scripture, as I'll see in a moment, uh, even hundreds of years later, did as well. So, But I'm not going to tell you a lot about Baal worship today. The, the, at this time, perhaps the, the main deity of the Canaanites, but this is of the Moabites. Um, but it typically included... It it typically included sexual practices that were designed to elicit celestial sex between Baal, the god of the sky or thunder, or some say of even the weather, with his female counterpart in order to bring fertility upon their lands. And so you can see that this temptation for a people group, so the the writer here uh, uh, addresses it as whoredom. We see that by the by the writer. So I want you to think about the Mosaic Law and what little that you might know about it or what you know about it a lot. You know the Mosaic Law forbade for, for all types of idolatry, right? God just said, you don't make any image to any other God, but come on, right? Because he's the one and only God. And then, but, and so, there, so that's a struggle for them initially. But then when you add the sexual deviation to it, and you know that the book of Leviticus speaks very directly about some of the sexual practices of those cultures, and the children of Israel are strictly forbidden from participating in that deviant sexual behavior. But then this temptation gets magnified when a people whose hearts were never really following God in the first place. Their hearts were hardened. God constantly, we've talked about it week after week. The Lord keeps coming back to them. You're a stiff-necked people. More than one time, God in his righteous anger said, I'm going to destroy the entire nation and start with just Moses. And, and if it wasn't for Moses' divine intervention, and you see this once again play out how the children of Israel, who really don't want to follow God in the first place, and now they see that there are other deities, El or Baal, in this particular moment, that they can worship, and they can also gratify depraved sexual appetites within themselves and justify it in the name of their religion. 
So this illicit behavior, to a degree, um, we see in this particular passage, though, that it reached its apex point when one man's behavior became so uh, defiant that he didn't care. And so he goes to the Moabites, and he gets a Midianite woman, and he brings her back, and he, in the sight of all the people, he goes into a tent, the Scripture says. We read that. Now, and, and he actually begins to participate or have fornication with her with the, with the, with the knowledge of, the, uh, of what's taking place right in front of the people. Um, it was so defiant. And, uh, you know, uh, some scholars, now I may be a stretch on this one, some scholars say by the word tent, some have say, is it implying the tabernacle itself? I don't know, only God would know. I'm, I'm going to say probably it doesn't, but I'm telling you, uh, we've seen it in our generation. People are so defiant before God with their blatant sexual sin. Come on, so it's not a stretch. And so it was, it was so much so that Eliezer's, son, Phineas, rises up, and Phineas takes that javelin in his hand, and he catches the couple in the very act and thrusts them through and kills them. And he's not, um, he's not condemned for his action. He's actually commended by Moses for this swift action of judgment. The reason why is because a plague had started amongst the people. They began to spread amongst the people, and before Phineas could go in and if you will, mediate for this blatant, uh, defiant sexual act against God. Not, it's one thing that when the people went over to the land of the Moabites and participated in their sacrifices, it's another thing when they bring it right in front of the tabernacle to defile, to say, I don't care about Yahweh God. I don't care about His prohibition against intermarriage or sexual uh, uh, intercourse with others that aren't of the of uh, that I'm married to or whatever so what, whatever depth that was that was so blatant again uh, that this act here of uh, by Phineas or has, has actually been commended by the gospel writers by the writer excuse me here so let's let's just begin to dialogue this for just a moment unknown to this text now again let me say this one more time before he could even stop 24,000 people have already died 24,000 that would be three times the city of Heber Springs that was gone. Just like that before this priest could act in the divine intervention. Now, unknown to this text right here is another layer to this. I omitted recently because I, men- I ministered about Balaam back during Christmas. If you were to read chapters 22, 23, and 24, does anybody remember the narrative of Balaam? Nothing is said about what Balaam. Everybody knows that Balaam was going to curse Israel. And God prevented him from cursing Israel, and he turned the curse into a blessing. And he, they, he, he, he moved him to bless Israel instead of curse them. Y'all remember that, right? But unknown to the text is this, though, is that the Scripture later tells us that the heart of Balaam was never right in the matter. And so Balaam told Balak, who was the king of the Moabites, how to trip Israel up. If I can't curse them... I can show you how. If, we, if you can't defeat them militarily, here's how you'll defeat them. And so, you know who gives us insight into it? Uh, a number of writers tell us of the insight, but I want you to the one that's most prominent. Revelation 2 and 14. Jesus himself tells us, he said, look, I have a few things against you because you hold those that hold the doctrine of Balaam. And it's what it says about Balaam. Balaam taught the children, he taught Balak to cast a stumbling block 
before the children of Israel, look at this, to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit fornication. So we have another layer here altogether where Balaam is teaching Balak that if you can't defeat them militarily, pull them out away from their camp, entice them to worship your gods, and, and, and then strengthen that enticement with sexual fornication. Don't think that we don't have an adversary, right, and temptations around us. And so this incident became such a stumbling block that the Psalms writes about it, the writer of the psalmist, uh, the Psalm 106 writes about it, the prophet Hosea writes about it, Jeremiah writes about it, Jude uh, speaks of it, Jesus speaks about it, as we just noted, and Paul. So let's go to Paul for just a minute, because we're laying this, layering this together to bring you to a common subject matter for us to talk about. 1 Corinthians 10, we've been there all along this journey, we're going to pick it up again. 1 Corinthians 10, if you follow with me, turn in your Bible, go ahead there, if not, follow on the screen. Verse number 6, now these things were our examples. To the intent, we should not love. I want you to think about this for a moment. So a number of writers of Scripture believe that this incident was so important that they penned generations later to tell their children and their children, look back at what happened there uh, uh, when the children of Israel fell into the whoredom with Moab. Neither be idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. But neither, look at the eighth verse, neither let us commit fornication. Some of them committed and fell in one day, three and 20,000. Verses 11 through 14 drop down. Now, all these things happened unto them for what? And they're written for who? For our admonition upon whom the world, the ends of the ages are come, or the end of the worlds are come. So therefore, let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. So that means you got to live your life guarded of sexual temptation at all levels. Let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. Verse 3, there's no temptation taking you, but which is common to man. God is faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted above what you're able. But with the temptation, there'll be a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Dearly beloved, he said, flee from idolatry. Now, I could go uh, uh, and, and expound that text, but I'm not going to. Other than as we begin to talk about this, I want you to know today that you can overcome. No matter what temptation that you might have in your flesh with sexual temptation, you can overcome by the power of the living God. Come on, somebody. Amen. So this leads us to this necessary word that I'm speaking to you about today. Staying sexually, remaining sexually pure in a, a sexually depraved culture. Being warned not to look for love in all the wrong places. So what are we aided by, church family? We are aided by... We are aided by the written examples of the Word of God, the instruction of both the Torah and the prophets and the Psalms and the Proverbs, the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant is still alive. It's an old covenant, but it's not a dead covenant. Come on, it still lives. It still speaks to us. It's a living word contained in it. Many of those passages through the example of ancient Israel teach us and, and, and strengthen us to be aware of sexual temptation, right? Because if you're not, if you're just blinded to sexual temptation, then you too can fall prey. Then we have some of the most familiar words that come to us off of the mouth of the Lord Jesus himself. When Jesus said, it was said of old time, looking back to the old covenant. He said, it was said of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. And we are familiar with that. The spirit of the Lord, by the finger of the Lord, penned those words on the, uh, the stone tablets or the commandments, the Ten Commandments. And we trust the Lord to write them on the tablet of your heart. But Jesus said, he said, I'm going to take it further than that. He said, I'm going to say that if you're looking upon another person with lust in your heart, then you're committing adultery with them. 
So Jesus takes it to an entirely different level. And then when you get to the epistles, you'll find a number of scriptures, a number of scriptures from almost the majority of all scriptures, which were written primarily to a Gentile audience, are being charged to flee fornication. Literally, if you have to, just get away from it. And as we were reminded on Wednesday night about the walk of faith, as the text was chosen from Ephesians chapter number 4, verse number 17, he said that you don't walk henceforth as the other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Before you were saved, you are promiscuous. Before you were saved, there are a lot of things that you participated in in a depraved sexual culture like we live in today. But once you are saved, God calls you out of that way of lifestyle out of that darkness, and nothing, I said it earlier, I'll say it again, the principles don't change, right? The principles are still the same. God calls us to holiness. Now, this text of Scripture that we read in 1 Corinthians 10 said it was to the ends of the world upon the ends of the world are come. I don't know whether we're the terminal generation or not. I don't know that. But I can say this. We have quickly become a sexually depraved generation. Our culture has almost entirely embraced sexual liberation. So let me use some King James English words for you just a moment. Fornication. What's fornication? Sex outside of marriage. Fornication simply is uh, taught and received at all levels of society today. It's taught to your children in the public school. It's taught by every movie and uh, by the mainstream media, the, by, the, by all the music industry, by books. It's taught, it's accepted, it's welcomed. Um, but, but tragically, it's even made its way of acceptance into the church. Let me go ahead and bring up a couple of things for you, just so you'll know. In 2020, Pew Research conducted a, um, a survey in 2020 uh, concerning uh, people who are identified as Christians, okay, identifying Christian. How many of you know that identifying a Christian doesn't make you one, just like identifying as a male when you're female doesn't make you one? All right, but, but we're going to use the language of the article for just a moment. And so it was, it was the question was, is that is casual sex uh, sometimes are always acceptable, and casual sex was de- defined as between consenting adults who are in, not in a committed romantic relationship. So the results of the survey are this, that Catholics were the most likely to take this view. 62% said yes, uh, but, but, Pro- but Protestants first in the historically black tradition were 56%, but mainline Protestants like yourself, 54% were close behind. Evangelicals, 36%, so that was probably where we would fall in the 36%. But that means possibly that one-third of the people under the sound of my voice say, yeah, it's, it's all right. A majority of self-identified Christians, 50%, 57%, say sex between unmarried adults in a committed relationship is sometimes or always acceptable. That includes 67% of mainline Protestants, 64% of Catholics, and 57% of Protestants in the historically black tradition. And 46% of evangelical Protestants, which we would fall under, Right? So let's go a little bit farther in this. And that's just in the context. I'll just pull off of those statistics. I don't want to overwhelm you with the statistics, and I'm going to share a few more with you here in a moment. But why is the point of even make that? Because that's where I began at fornication. Fornication is sex outside of marriage, and the culture has moved us to an acceptance of this. Just accepted, you know, it's just the way it is. And we're the live-in generation. But see, but God does not change his word for our culture. And so we as true believers in Christ, we must get this word inside of us and determine to be and to live differently. We're a generation that adultery has certainly changed, hasn't it? 
We're the Ashley Madison generation. We're swingers, wife swap, and open marriages. There's an article about open marriages, and the reason why some couples are comfortable with open marriage is because they don't want to cheat on their spouses. I just want you to think of how the mind can get so twisted. We, we, obviously, there's a lot said about homosexuality, the defiant, blatant uh, act of homosexuality in our culture today, and I'm kind of skimming and skipping right over that today. What about prostitution that's on the rise in America today? Now, there's only one state in the United States that allows for a legal brothel, and that's Nevada. I think there are eight legal brothels, not that I have visited them, but I have Google searched the information. But many states are decriminalizing prostitution, if you haven't followed this, or they're refusing to prostitute prostitution. And there are a number of European countries that have legal sex workers, and you may have recently noted that the director of the World Health Organization spoke against you. He said, because all the conservative countries that are trying to hinder the sex trade need to change to allow sex workers to get paid for the prostitution of their bodies. That's the director of the World Health Organization. If you don't believe me, search it out on your own. And so, so, that, so, so real quickly, I've just touched on very, very quickly, just skimmed the surface of fornication, adultery, homosexuality, prostitution. But the most accessible form of sexual sin or temptation in our generation is pornography. And pornography and the statistics of pornography are staggering. The financial statistics are staggering. Those who participate in it are, are staggering. And we're not going to camp right here with pornography, but I am going to bring up just a little bit of information so that you'll know. Let's think about the financial impact that it has. Did you know that the NFL worldwide's gross income will be $12 billion? The U.S. Uh, uh, income for pornography is $13 billion. The worldwide gross income is $100 billion, which exceeds that of the NFL, the MLB, and the, N and the NBA combined. That 46 million U.S. adults, one in four, watch porn frequently online. Almost 80% of all Americans have at one time watched porn online. One in four will have watched porn online in the past month. 93% of all boys are exposed to pornography of some kind before they turn 18. 10% of Americans show signs of porn addiction. And 87% of men between the ages 18 and 35 report to watch porn on a weekly basis. 165 billion porn videos are watched in the past year. On the internet, one in four Google searches. When you're searching out, oh man, what's we're going to have for dinner tonight? Let's see if we get a new recipe. One in four are making a search with adult in the search engine. 35% of all downloads are all internet pornography. 35%. And right now, every second of my sermon today, every second, the time it takes me to snap my fingers, there will be 28,258 users on pornography right now while I'm preaching the truth of the Word of God. It's become a pandemic, if you will, or porn-demic, if we will. 16% of women have watched porn for sexual excitement. Women are much more likely to, than men to read written porn or listen to erotica. Women are more likely to visit porn chat rooms compared to men. One out of every three visitors to porn sites are women. And just for a little bit of information, just to, so that you understand the challenges of living in a sexually depraved generation. 
The statistics of the 10 states with the highest number of men and women that turn to internet porn, of those 10, nine are in the Bible Belt. Arkansas is number five on Pornhub and number six in the overall. It's not a statistic to celebrate, is it? And I've just scratched the surface of the statistics just to draw your attention to the challenges. Why would I talk about this today? It's because the growing websites, it's not showing any signs of lessening, and actually it's increasing. From professional pornography, as what we have become familiar with over the years, to magazines, but now with the internet, to the OnlyFans, where people, private individuals, are recording their own sexually deviant acts and putting them out for all to watch. And we have such a skewered mentality that we go about trying to justify. Maybe some of you read the same article that I did the latter couple of weeks, where there was a private Christian school that was forced to, um, to what is it when you kick out children from school? Expel them. Uh, a family's children's school. They did their very best. They did their very best not to. They tried to work with the parents, but the parents grew only defiant and defiant because the mother was dropping her children off in the circle drive of the private Christian school with the advertisement of her OnlyFans account on the side of her vehicle. And they talked to the, her, the, the family, and, the, and they said, look, we're not trying to, you know, what you do to a measure of your private time, that's what you do, but we don't believe in pornography, and when you circle in this driveway. But she, instead of responding, she simply took it down and put a larger one there. That's the depraved mindset. So, church family, we're living in a sexually depraved generation. What are the damaging effects of sexual deprivation? What is it? What are they? Number one, sexually transmitted diseases which are on the rise in America. But number two, beyond that, or in part of this, uh, number one is, but spirits, people don't realize but that when you are jumping from person to person, you're bringing all the baggage, everything that has been placed in them by the hurt or the wound of generations in front of them and all of the darkness and the occult and the powers of darkness that's inside of them are coming into you or you're going into them. You're bringing unclean spirits into you. Number two, unwanted pregnancies. Unwanted pregnancies results in two things. Number one, abortion. Or discarded children that may be cared for without the emotional support of a loving family. So you really say, Pastor, what's what? You know, you've heard me preach about it in days gone by. We're just simply repeating what the children of Israel went through. You had the pagan deity of Molech. So you had the pagan deity of Baal and the Baal worship. So you committed illicit sexual uh, you know, experiences. You created unwanted children. Well, how, did you rid, how do you rid the, the world of unwanted children? Did you carry them over them and burn them in the fire to Molech? So what do we do in this pagan world in which we live in? And then we, we've created this culture, the sexually depraved generation. We've got all these unwanted children. We just use the, 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 the tool of abortion. Number three, sexual assault is on the rise. Sex trafficking is on the rise. It's dangerous. Listen, ma'am, don't you go anywhere by yourself. Are you hearing me today? It's, this is not Mayberry. It's changed. And even those the, you that are familiar with how Heber Spring, if I remember correctly, did I not see a post on Heber? You should know yesterday or two days ago that there was somebody that tried to snatch a young girl at a restaurant here in Heber two days ago. So listen, ma'am, you, and, and you better know where your children are, and, and, and I'm telling you, you better know where you are. And you better use precautions because everything's changed around us. 
What's the effects, the damaging effects? Sexual abuse in marriage. It wasn't that long ago that we were high, that, that the number one movie in America was uh, Fifty Shades of Sin. Right, so sexual abuse in marriage. Then we have again number five. What about sexual neglect in marriage due to a particular spouse's pornography addiction? Then we also have different forms of pedophilia that's arising. Right? And which the first thing that we've already begun to see is that we're, the culture is attempting to normalize it. Because if they can normalize it, they will then legalize it. And so we've got to be guarded. And I, I, one of the things that catches me, and I just, I just, I just don't even understand this, and I, I obviously I'm wired not to. When we first think about pedophilia, we think about things, especially in the school system, we think about a, a particular male advancing upon young girls. But I'm telling you, it's been a flip in the last 20 years. You will find far more accounts of women Beautiful 25, 28, 32-year-old women with married with two children at home that are targeting a 14-year-old young male. In this generation, a sexually depraved generation, it's the result of this mindset that we have had and we've created in America. And then lastly, in that context, the painful trauma of divorce that's caused by adultery or some type of sexual sin. And I know that church family, under the sound of my voice, if the statistics are accurate, I'm not just preaching to folks out there. I'm preaching with everybody. And, and here's the reality of this. We don't throw stones. Jesus, when a woman was brought in adultery, he didn't take the spirit of Phineas, did he? He didn't, he didn't take the javelin or the stone. But he took compassion, mercy, and love, but he didn't change the principle for anyone. The broken woman cast at his feet, Jesus said, go and sin no more. And so we as a culture, we're not here to demonize people. We're here to bring people to deliverance through the power of a living Savior who can deliver you from all forms of addiction, of sexual addiction included. Come on, somebody. That you can be free from the condemnation, the guilt, and the sorrow. I didn't use this text, but if you were to read 2 Corinthians chapter 6, when Paul is addressing the very same subject, he mentions things like this. He mentions effeminate. He mentions adulterers. He mentions fornicators. And then he said this, and such were some of you. But now you're washed. Now you're justified by the blood of Jesus and by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the power of the message that I came along to preach to you today you may have been that but if you're under the power of the blood you can be free come on somebody from that satanic stronghold so what are we going to talk about in closing today what are the things on a day when I know that you're not going to shout me down when I'm preaching right in here today these are things that it's difficult to talk about it's hard for parents to have these conversations with their children it's hard for husbands and wives to have these conversations amongst themselves it's hard for even a brotherhood of men to open up and talk to the, one another about what they might be struggling with. It's hard for ladies in a women's Bible study when the time of teaching is over to stop and pause and say, ladies, I need your help. It's difficult. But church family, it demands it. It demands it. We've been called to be different. We've been called to be different. So what are the things that you can do and I can do in two things, two areas, both deliverance from and prevention. Number one, just real quickly, is this. We can't cover everything here today, obviously. I'm just hopefully creating a stimulus of faith for you 
to make you more guarded if you're, if, you've, if, you, if you're walking in faith or to lead you to a proper place of repentance. This is not the end. This is just the surface. We're trying to learn from the journey of the children of Israel. They stumbled in unbelief. What did Paul say when he looked back on it? He said, be careful, you'll stumble too. Number one is true repentance. Number one, true repentance. What do you mean true repentance? Not just sorrow, not just being sorry. A lot of times when you've had a sinful or you've harmed somebody or harmed yourself, we have sorrow, but we don't sorrow unto repentance. The word repent means to change, to turn around, to turn from. So God calls us, and let me tell you, I'll just drop this in your heart today. Familiarize yourself. I think David's two most famous psalms, Psalm 23 and Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is when the sweet psalmist of Israel pours out his heart before God in pen for generations. Because he even concluded the, the psalm. He said, I will teach sinners your ways. He pours out his heart in repentance before his of his transgression of adultery with Bathsheba. You need to familiarize yourself because when you don't know how to pray, pray the words of David. Pray the words of David. Change your direction. Change your mind. Don't just feel bad. I, when I went online to study from Covenant Eyes, it's a website to help people overcome pornography. And this is not just about pornography. Pornography is just one part of it. Right, but it is a big part of it. But it's just a part of it. It said, it said the num the first thing, the number one most important thing to help somebody find deliverance if they're an, uh, addicted to pornography is they must be willing to change. You just have to be willing to change the course of action that's created uh, that that's brought you into this bondage. So that's true repentance. Number two, know that sexual sin is first against the Lord. What does that mean? It's against the Lord. Let's put this verse of Scripture here. This is taken from Psalm 51. And let's read it here if we can. This is the pen of David. There's only seven of these. It's not going to take long. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thyself. Stop just a minute. What about Bathsheba? He sinned against her. She was married. What about Uriah? He sinned against Uriah. What about his own family? David had wives, and in that culture, he had wives with the plural. What about his children? Did he not sin against them? Obviously he did. But he knew true repentance lay when he acknowledged it before God. Before God. And so that's where these two go hand in hand. True repentance is tied to with you coming clean before the Lord. Against the Lord I've committed this sin. Then it brings me, because then I begin to find a different way of life when I recognize, Lord, I don't want to sin against you. Come on. Number three, confession for repentance and accountability. How many of you know the Bible says confess your faults one to another? Confession doesn't have to be in a booth with a priest separated by a porous uh, wall that you speak through. Confession doesn't have to be take the loudspeaker and confess in front of the entire church family. But confession perhaps may include that there are men and women of accountability that you go to. And you pray with. And it may be the person that you've sinned against that you need to confess to as well. Come on, somebody. 
And so, but confession is a part of it because it helps create accountability. And especially if you get men and women in your corner. Let me tell you, they can't fight this fight for you. Right? Nobody can do it for you. But they can fight with you. And they can hold you accountable. And we are in that culture that doesn't want to be accountable. That's the danger of the iPhone. Right? Because back when I was a kid, if anybody was going to watch an X-rated movie, they had to go to an X-rated movie. All you got to do is, I would say go into a room by yourself, but the statistics are saying people aren't even doing that. 18% of all pornography is watched at work. So number four, very quickly, so that was number three, confession. It's very much a part of it. Number four, you got to change your habits. You got to put in safeguards. Let's put this scripture up here. Learn from the simple man that fell into sin, right? And I'm a matter of fact, you might not ought to be singing that song. I'm just a simple kind of man. No, maybe you ought not be a simple kind of man. Maybe you ought to be a man of understanding. Maybe you ought to be a, a man of wisdom because the enemy targeted the simple kind of man. He said, I searched among the simple ones. I discerned amongst the youth a young man. What was he? He was void of understanding. That's why when you pray, you say, God, in all my getting, let me get understanding. A lot is hanging on the balance or hanging in the balance on you walking in sexual purity. Look what happened to the brother that was a simple kind of man. This, I've always read this and my attention was drawn to it. Where did he go? He went too close. He passed the street near her corner, near the house. He went too close to sexual temptation. You got to change the way that you live. You got to put in safeguards. Put it on your phone, put it on your computer. Limit your interaction with the opposite sex. Don't put yourself in an isolated situation with someone that you would be drawn to sexually. You got to be guarded. You have to live guarded. Get the blinders off. Live in God's world and say, I don't care if I hurt somebody's feelings, but I'm not going to get this close to somebody of the opposite sex. One of my favorite biblical characters, and yours is as well, is Joseph. And we know what happened with Joseph when he was in the house of Potiphar. Potiphar's wife targeted him because he was a handsome young man. And she targeted him and she sought to have a sexual relationship with him. If there's one thing that we could fault about Joseph, is tragically he got caught in the house alone with her. And you know what he had to do? He had to drop his coat and run. I printed a bracelet on Father's Day many years ago and I preached a message similar to this. And I've titled it, Drop Your Coat and Run. Right? Come on, somebody. To avoid the ramifications that will come upon you and your family if you fall into sexual trapment. That's a good word today. Now let's go a little farther and we're going to wrap up. And visitors are like, wow, I came to this church? <laughs> yeah, you came to the right church. I'll just tell you right now. We're not here to pacify you. If you're looking for a church to be pacified, sorry, we don't pass pacifiers out in our church. And we will tackle you if you bring coffee in the, into the sanctuary. Nor cookies. You don't get coffee and cookie in here. I'm just being real here today. I've been preaching a long time. I get by with it. Number five, make a covenant with your eyes. Make a covenant. Where's that come from? Job 31. Look what Job said. I love this. Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I think about a maid? You got to make a covenant. Listen, we, pornography, I'm just going to be honest. Pornography is not just on your phone. It's not just on the internet. Pornography is on a billboard when you're driving a little rock. Right? 
Pornography can be anywhere if that's a visual stimulus towards you, male or female. It's, I mean, we live in a barely clothed generation. you got to get used to looking away. Right, lust is stimulated from far more than pornography, and you have to determine to consciously, consciously determine to not look upon a woman with lust in your heart or a man with lust in your heart. I was telling, again, Caleb and Chelsea in our staff meeting this week, I said, and I, was, I knew where I was going with my sermon, and we were talking briefly about this, and I, I kind of was warming up the sermon on them, I guess, a little bit, but I'll tell you, I said, I, I don't even look, when I perform the, the wedding ceremony, and I'm standing right here, and I say, I pronounce you man and wife. You may kiss your bride. I am getting out of the way. I don't want to be up in your business with you slobbering all that stuff right in front of me. Goodness gracious. I don't want to go to bed at night thinking about your slobber. <laughs> Why is that? Because I made a covenant with my eyes years ago. There was a song, I, I guess I did used to listen to a little bit of secular music back in the day, but mine and Sherry's little love song that we had when we were first brought together was For Your Eyes Only. And I still want to live that way today. That's why I still pray. If you want to learn more about these things, then you got to come in three weeks or two weeks, three weeks on a Wednesday night when lesson number six will be taught by, by, by yours truly. Sherry will choose to work in the nursery that night, I already know. Because I'll be teaching the lesson about sexual unity in marriage. Number six brings it to, into play. Number six is value your sexuality as sacred. It's sacred. Listen, God is not, nor are the scriptures, against your sexual union and your sexual fulfillment. He's created the safe place for it. Where did he put it? Come on, somebody. Where did he put it? Marriage, and just the word marriage can be perverted in our generation, right? But let's put this verse of Scripture up here. Hebrews 13 and 4 says, marriage is honorable in all, and the bed is what? Undefiled. Go back to the whoremonger, the whoredom that was mentioned. I know these are hard words. I know these cause you to cringe. That's okay. God will cause you to cringe if it will move you into righteousness. I'd rather cringe than have the plague be brought upon me. So he said, whoremongers and adulterers, God's going to judge. God's got a place to satisfy your sexual desire, and that's in marriage. It's a covenant of marriage. And how many of you know that as a believer, your body belongs to the Lord, right? What's the famous scripture? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, who now dwells on the inside of you. So you have to value your sexuality as sacred. The only place for its gratification is in the covenant, the sanctity of the covenant of marriage. Come on, church family. And lastly today, in the covenant of marriage, it's my favorite one. I saved it for last. You can put it up there. I'm ready for it. Keep the fire burning. Lord, I thought with that statement, I would get a lot better amen. Father, I, that one's caught me off guard, so I've got to catch back up to this. Let's read it one more time. How about in the covenant of marriage? Keep the fire burning. Amen. Come on, somebody. Keep it burning. Prayerfully, the heart of both spouses are truly knit to each other. Right? That's, that's what I hope. I know that's not always the case, but, but, but that's the prayerful pursuit. Hopefully, the sexual experience in marriage is not just for one person's pleasure. 
right? Pray. That, pray for love to be kindled through the union and the act of sexuality. Right? That love, not just lust gratified, but that love is kindled in the relationship as your sexual needs, if you will, are met through your spouse. I've taught a lot of things, and I'll share some scriptures over the years that I just believe ought to be in your heart because the Bible is pretty illicit. It speaks very openly about some of these matters. And it doesn't just teach us about what to avoid. It teaches us how to embrace what he sanctified. Matter of fact, let me just jump out there. We get it so in error the way it go back to the Genesis. We try to live every day of our life with, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do this. Go back to the Genesis. The first command was you cannot eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The first command was this, of all the trees thou mayest freely eat. God put it in the positive motion. God will sanctify the union of marriage and you can keep the fire burning. And in that process, listen, I'm going to tell you, you got to learn something from the adulterous woman of Proverbs chapter 7. Wow. But this is the last point, and we're getting ready to close. you got to learn something from the adulterous woman. What? So remember the simple man who went too close to her house or corner? Look what happened. She's married. He's not. She, but, but, but we're going to learn something from her real quickly. She caught this guy. And she kissed him, an impromptu, spontaneous, flirtatious kiss. Come on, mom and dad. Back when you were of youth, <laughs> I would drive all the way to Sister Sherry's house and we were sparking just for a kiss. Don't tell the pastors of the General Baptist Church, but we've smooched in the parking lot. Let's go a little bit farther. Verse 14. I have peace offerings with me this day. I paid my vows. Let's read. Look what she's doing. There's enticement. Verse 15. Therefore, I came to meet you to seek you face to face. The next verse, verse 16. I have decked my bed with coverings of tapestry and with carved works with fine linen. In the 17th verse, I perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Verse 18. Let us take our fill of love until the morning. She's enticing him to come in for a night of adultery. Let's look in it and let's glean from it and say, how come mom and dad, listen, we need to go out of our way to keep love alive in our families, our husbands and wives. Can I, are y'all out there? You're hearing what I'm saying today? Listen, let's go. Well, let's just go on. Y'all aren't catching me. I, everybody's afraid to say amen. <laughs> I'm going to hold back here, but I, I might. I might. I, I wrote it this way. I, I, I would like to share with you some of this, but you can't handle it. But I said... You can't handle it, but I'm going to do it anyhow. I'm going to go ahead and do it because the Bible charges you in the context of sexual activity in the covenant of marriage. It just does. So I said learn from this adulterous woman. That means sometimes you can't just, you know, uh, the, the adulteress and, or the adulterer, the male or the female that's trying to entice your spouse is going to be dressed up. They're going to smell good and look good. And a lot of times in the home, we come into the last few hours of the day. We got no energy, no life left in us. We've been chasing children, small children. I understand all that. Well, you got to make it. You got to determine I'm not going to let that affect my sexual attraction to my spouse. Come on, somebody. I heard one preacher long ago when I heard a message like this. He said, listen, he said, listen, ma'am, don't you be going to bed with your husband in that T-shirt that six kids spit up on all through the day. 
right? And your hair's all frazzled because he's going to the office where she's all looking like this and looking like that. Come on now. And so the writer here is challenging us, right, to be guarded, but we can look in it and learn from it to keep fire burning in our own pot. Look, let's, let's read. I know you, some of you know where I'm about to read from. Some of you do not. What about the Song of Solomon? Let's go ahead and put it on the screen. It's going to freak some of you out, but that's all right. You need to read it because it says what God meant for it to say. Especially, I know some of you know where it's going. Some of you like, I don't even know where it's at in the Bible, including Pastor Brown. I'm struggling to find it here. I thought it was right there after Ecclesiastes, and that's where it's at. Verse 7. Let's read it today. Thou art fair, my love. Wonder what would happen if we talked to each other that way. Hmm. Come with me from Lebanon. Sorry, Alyssa, you may want to step outside right now. It's about to get real in here. It's about to get real. Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse, to the top of Amana and Shinar. I don't even care if I get these words right. And Herman. Because you have ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. Come on, somebody. You have ravished my heart with just one of your eyes. I don't even need both of them. All I need is a link. Come on now. <laughs> and the smell of your ointments with all your spices. And I'm not talking about spilled, uh, you know, formula from children. But you didn't have formula. So we'll, go, we'll just leave that alone right there. Thy lips, O oh my spouse, drop as the honeycomb. Honey and milk are under thy tongue. And the smell of thy garments is like the smell of Lebanon. That's better than Tide. Come on, somebody. A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse. A spring shut up, a fountain sealed. It's about to get real, real in here. We're going to read it right here. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits. Campfire, I guess, or camphor, I don't know, spikenard, I'll go with that. Spikenard, saffron, calamus, cinnamon. See, now remember the adulterous woman was sprinkling her, those things on her bed. Right, but we ain't got time for that because we're too holy. And that's why uh, as much sexual sin as in the world is in the church. Because we don't keep the fire burning where the fire ought to be burning. Come on, but I'm preaching right in here today. A fountain of gardens, verse 14, 15. A well of living waters and streams from Lebanon. And this is where you, you fill it in with your mind. Awake, O north wind, and come. Blow upon my garden and let the spices flow out. Let my beloved come into his garden and eat his pleasant fruits. And it means what you think it means. Come on now. I'm telling you, church family, God said I will put it in a sanctified place. Where you don't have to be going down to the red light district. You don't have to be looking on your phone. You don't have to be lusting for a spouse or somebody else's spouse across the room. But you can value your spouse and you can pray, Oh God, let me be satisfied with the breasts of the wife of my youth all the days of my life. Because she will do me good and not evil all the days of my life. Hallelujah. I'm going to give you one life lesson from Pastor Brown right here in closing this message. How to keep love alive. As a young person, do not buy a king-size bed. <laughs> Sister Sharita and I were poor folk. 
All we had was a double bed. And when you put two, Barbara Mandrell said she was sleeping single in a double bed. But so was Sister Sherry and I. Uh-oh, we got to move on from there. Come on, somebody. I'm going to ask Caleb to join me on the platform. We're going to close this message out here today. <laughs> That's a good word right there. That's, I don't care where you're from. That's a good word. The Bible warns us of sexual immorality. But God doesn't just, just expect you to be able to resist all sexual temptation. He gives you the place. I know time and season changes as we age. I know. I know all those things. But the reality is, I'm preaching to a wide group of men and women. We all have different places on our journey here. But God wants you to be sexually pure in a sexually depraved generation. And you can be. You can be. And then you can pass that legacy of faith to your children and your children's children. You've got to be willing to talk about things that are uncomfortable. Come on now. Be, be guarded, though. Be guarded. Your adversary, the devil. The culture we live in. The culture is... Y'all know I just scratched the surface on the depravity, the sexual depravity of this generation, didn't I? I just, all I did was just barely scratch the surface of it. All, I, I can't give you end-alls here. On Sunday, I get I, I y'all give me forty five minutes and I take an hour to preach. Yes, thank you, Sister Charlie. I knew you. Somebody catch that. Y'all give me fourteen, but I take an hour to preach to you. That's all I get. But this is flashing every second. This is you. You hear Pastor Brown and and uh, forty five minutes a week. If we were to go to the setting that said how many hours a week did you spend here? So, so we live in this information-dominated generation, and I get just a little window of time to hopefully bring some balance to these issues for you, to cause you to be aware. The children of Israel failed. They got pulled into the culture, didn't they? That was the culture of the Moabites. They worshipped Baal. But they were, that, that's who they were. They worshipped Baal. They said, this is how we live. When you go to church, you, you, you know, you bring a, a lamb or a sheep. When I go to church, I, I, I go into a prostitute. That, that was, the, that was the, 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 the difference between those two cultures. It ought, to be a, it ought to be a stark difference between how we live and how they live. Right? It ought to be. But it's not going to be unless we really become guarded in our lives. How do I end a message like this? I hope that I, don't, I didn't bring condemnation, guilt, or shame upon anybody. We've, we've all been tempted. I, every one of us have seen some level of pornography. I can remember the last porn, pornography that I looked at. It was called the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition when I was 18 years old. You know what that is? That's pornography. And so, so everybody has seen it at some level. Don't let sexual sin, depo, sexual uh, dominate your life. I mean, if there's sin in your life, come on, repent before the Lord. Cry out to Him. This is not a sermon where I'm going to have people raise their hands. I'm not trying to expose anybody. That's between you and the Lord. But I want to go back to the third point. You may need somebody that you confess to, though. Don't, don't forget that. You may need an accountability person. 
Go back and listen to this message. Watch this message, whatever it is, and follow those principles if you're struggling in some of those areas. I'm going to pray with everybody today. I want to see our young teenagers. Come on, somebody. Make good decisions. You know, learn to say, it's all right. It's cool to be clean. Right? It's cool to wait for your spouse. Right? Won't y'all stand up with me today? Our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Nobody's looking around. I'm not going to ask any hands to go up. This is just a moment of consecration. It is now 1150 today. Consecration. Flee fornication, the writer Paul said. The writer Paul says it a number of times. Did you know if you were to look in the original language, you'll find that one of the words translated fornication is porneo in the Greek, from which we get porn. So God's been talking about it for a long time. Long before magazines came out in the 50s and 60s, movies in the 70s and 80s, and then certainly the internet that we have today. God's been warning people of it for thousands of years. Don't live like the Canaanites. Don't live like the Egyptians. Be different. Know what God says yes to and know what God says no to. Pray for the courage to walk in obedience to Him. I think we should all take a moment and just say, God, make me clean today. God, wash me clean. God, if I've sinned with lust in my heart, or let me, let me correct that. When I have sinned with lust in my heart, forgive me, O God, and wash me clean. God, I want to make a covenant with my eyes. God, that I can be holy in your eyes. God, today, I pray, take away the guilt and the condemnation from decisions that were made long ago. If I'm clean, then let me be clean. If I'm forgiven, God, let me be forgiven. I'm forgiven, let me live in the strength of that. Let me walk free without guilt and condemnation from sins that I have repented of long ago. God, if there are areas that I'm struggling with, Father, whether it be pornography or relationships or chat rooms or I'm, I'm just a little too uh, friendly with the person of the opposite sex, right now it's just a little bit like flirting, but I know what can happen if I don't put a stop to it. So God, I pray, my Father, today help us. Help us to have the courage to, to put in changes to our life that gives us precautions safety measures. Come on, are y'all hearing that today? Are y'all praying with me? If this is just me praying for you, then I have failed miserably in this sermon. But if we're all just praying to the Lord right now, God, that we'll be, we'll be clean before you. Lord, I want to pray over the, the sexual relationships of the husbands and wives, whatever season of life that they might be in. I pray, Lord, that there will be fire at home, God. Whatever that means for them, whatever it is, God, their hearts and their bodies knit together as one. I pray for the young adult that have the courage, the teenagers have the courage to be different in this generation. Help all of us to not go looking for love in all the wrong places. But let's wait on love in all the right places. So God, today I bless the people. I've done everything that I know to do. I've spoken this word. If there's anybody, I just feel this in my heart. I know I preach about sexual immorality and, and all that. 
But if there's somebody here today that doesn't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, in the midst of a message designed for the church, that might have been your heart today. Listen, trust in the Lord. We sang it a moment ago. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Believe upon Christ today. Ask him for the forgiveness of sin. Rest completely in his finished work on the cross, and you'll be saved. So, Lord, I love you today. I bless the people, and I'm grateful they gave me a listening ear, Father, this morning. It's in Jesus' name, and all God's children said amen and amen.